if you will go ahead and look in Mark chapter 6, that's where we're going to be um, coming from today. But let me introduce my wife as well. My wife, Margie, who uh, has every sense... Um, <clears throat> Excuse me, I'm, I'm sorry. But ever since we've been called in ministry, she has been right by my side. <clears throat> and she has worked diligently for us as a couple because I I'm firmly believe that God didn't call one without calling the other. And so she has worked diligently so that we can minister and do the will of God. You know, Jesus said, I came to do the will of the Father. And that's exactly what we want to do as well. We want to do the will of the Father, whatever that will is. And so I'm thankful for her. And she is always with me, working diligently beside me. Uh, just to share with you for just a second, and I don't want to take up all, a lot of time doing this. So I'm going to give you a very, very short version. The reason you see me walking a little bit different is because in 2000, November 2019, um, I had ran that day because I was an avid runner. Um, I don't know exactly how many miles I ran that day. Sometimes I would run five. Sometimes I would run nine. I have run 12. Um, but that night, uh, it became apparent that I had something going on within me that I didn't know was there. And uh, so anyway, my wife uh, wanted me to go to the doctor the next day. And I'm like, no, I'm fine now. And she said, no. And so we went. They immediately uh, took um, a brain scan, sent me to Savannah. And um, they found out that I had a cancerous brain tumor. Um, from November to Fe the end of February, February 28th, they worked very hard trying to figure out how they were going to deal with this because it was so embedded in my brain. And so finally, through going to Charleston and everywhere, we went for tests, different kinds of tests. Uh, they decided uh, that they were going to call Dr. Olson. He was a, a friend and a fellow on, for one of the doctors that I was seeing. And he called him. And Dr. Olson is the head of neurology at Emory University Hospital. And he also trains and teaches people how to do brain surgery. And so for me to get him was a blessing from God. And so anyway, he called him and worked it out. And usually it's months before you can even get an appointment with him. But within a week, I had an appointment with him. And he told me, he said, I, well, my wife and I went to Atlanta. And he, the nurse had warned us that he's kind of brash. And he is. <laughs> because he came in and he said, I just want to tell you, um, you probably are not going to make it through surgery. And if you do, you, you may live for a year. Um, that was in 
2020. Um, and... So anyway, to make a long story really short, they went ahead and scheduled me for, for surgery really fast. They couldn't do very much because every time they would try to do something, they would be cutting some nerves. And so um, that went to a very vital part of my body. And so um, when I came out of surgery, um, they were not able to do very much. And when, they came, when I came out of surgery, um, and usually it takes me a long time to wake up. And I've not had any major surgery, but, you know, usually it takes me a while to come out of anesthesia. Um, but I woke right up. And let me tell you this first. There was this lady, sweet lady, who carried me into the operating room. And she looked at the clock and she said... 8.28, and I said, yeah, and she said, remember that, and I said, excuse me, and she said, Romans 8.28, when they put you to sleep, and when you wake up, remember, all things work together for the good of those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose, and that lady disappeared. She was gone. Nobody knew where she was, and then when I woke up in the recovery room, there was four people standing inside of my bed. There was Dr. Olson. There was his assistant. There was a nurse, or his nurse, and there was some other man. And they said, those four people said, it's not going to be what they said. When the report comes back, it's not, that's not what it's going to be. It's going to be a one or two and they will, we will be able to deal with it through radiation and chemo. And you'll live a long, healthy life. But what I found out later was that at the same time that those four people were telling me that, the real four people were with my family telling them a different story. Telling them that I may have a year to live. And that it was a three or a four. And so I was like, that makes no sense. And then I went through therapy, believing and trusting what those four said that was talking to me. And we went through therapy. And on one day I was in therapy, just happened to be in my room. And on Dr. Zong, which is my... Uh, radiologist oncologist called me and he said Bobby I know that I'm going to see you tomorrow but I am so excited about what just came across my desk that I had to call you and he said it was not a three or four like we thought it was a one or two and we can treat it with radiation and chemo and you'll live a long healthy life tell me that's not God because that was four angels talking to me that day and God was saying, I'm in control. They're not. And I can take care of you. And so he told me that I'd have a little bit of a deficit. When I woke up, I was feeling around like this works, this works, this, oh, this don't work. You know? <laughs> and I could not feel my leg at all. I couldn't move it. You know, your leg is heavy when it has no... Uh, no, no muscles working in it. Uh, 
And so through therapy and different things and Jay Bailey working with me uh, and God mostly, I'm driving now, I'm walking now, because they told me I may not ever walk, it may not ever come back, because my brain had to learn how to send messages to my leg from a different path. And so if you see me walking a little funny, that's the reason. But I thank God that I'm able to walk, because I couldn't at one time. And so God is faithful. I'm here to tell you today that God is faithful, always faithful. And as we look back, and I'm going to talk about a couple of things, but my wife and I have been looking at some of the things that God has done in our ministry, in our lives, and in our family throughout the years. And, I mean, we're just listing all these things of how faithful God has been, not in small ways, but in huge, gigantic ways. And I'm telling you, God can be trusted. And so that's what I want to look at today is Jesus is our peace. In the midst of the storms, in the midst of the difficulties, in the midst of your search committee looking for a new pastor, God already has it worked out. And you know when he worked it out? Before he ever created anything. He knew you were going to be here. He knew your need. He's already taken care of it. If you will just trust him and allow his will to be accomplished. God is faithful. Look with me in Mark chapter 6. In Mark chapter 6, starting at verse 45, notice the word immediately. We'll come back to that in just a second. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into... Notice that word made. That really means compel them. He made his disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side to Bethsaida while he himself was sending the crowd away. After bidding them farewell, he left for the mountain to pray. And when it was evening, the boat was in the middle of the sea and he was alone on the land. Seeing them straining at the oars, for the wind was against them, at about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea, and he intended to pass by them. Now, hold on to that phrase because we're going to come back to that. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed that it was a ghost, and they cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them, and he said to them, Take courage, it is I, do not be afraid. And then he got into the boat with them, and the wind stopped, and they were utterly astonished. For they had not gained, now notice this, for they had not gained any insight from the incident of the loaves, but their heart was hardened. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, as we come to you, I pray that you will just give me guidance and wisdom. You will speak through me, that you will use me today, and that you will be the one that is honored and glorified. That you will be lifted up and exalted because you are so worthy of our praise. And Father, I pray that you will just use me as your vessel. Speak through me the words you would have these people to hear and myself to hear. And Father, we love you. We praise you. We honor you here today. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Now I want you to notice the word immediately. What does that mean? It, it refers back to what has just happened. And what has just happened? The feeding of the multitude. Now, I want you to notice here that there was a multitude of people that were there 
As Jesus came upon the shore, there was a multitude of people that gathered around. And they wanted to be near Jesus. And they wanted to hear Jesus speak. And it got late. And the disciples said, we need to let them go because it's late. And they have got to go find something to eat. And it's a long way back to where they can get something to eat. And Jesus said, what do you have? And, Jesus, and, and the disciples said, uh, we don't have anything. And, and notice what he says. He says, how many loaves do you have? Go look. And when they found out, they said, five and two fish. Now, it's, five, it's not like a loaf of bread. It is little bitty pieces of bread. And the fish are like sardines. And so that's what they have. Two little sardines and five little bitty tiny pieces of bread. That's all they had. How many people were there? Well, the Bible says that there was 5,000 men. Now, that's not including the women and children. So we're talking about probably over 10,000 people that are gathered here. And Jesus blessed the bread. Everybody sat down in groups. Everybody ate. Everybody was full. And then what happened? They took up what was left over. And they took up 12 basketful of food that was left over. Look at who Jesus is and what he did. And the disciples still couldn't understand who he was. They still couldn't grasp that he has all authority over all things. And that he can take care of every need that we have no matter what it is. That he can meet our needs and that he has already met our needs before he ever created anything. He knew us and he's already got it worked out in our lives if we would just allow his will to be accomplished. What did Jesus say in Philippians? He said, I came to do the will of the Father. That's why if we understood that and really allowed our life to be led by God, and we are just obedient and submissive to him, then I'm here to tell you God could do great and mighty and awesome things in our midst. But the disciples, if you notice in verse 52, they still had not gained any insight from that because they are about to go into their second event and they are fearful and afraid and think they're going to die. Notice with me, immediately after that one event, of Jesus showing his authority and what he could do, then they still didn't understand that. You see, how often does that parallel in my life and in your life? How often are we just like those disciples? You know, God does something great in our life and we're so thankful and then we forget about it. And the next event comes along and we're fretting and we are all upset and we don't know what we're going to do. You see, we get into storms from time to time. All of us do. I don't care who we are. And when we do, we count on Jesus to come and rescue us as he did those disciples in the boat. But so often we are so fearful and we are afraid like the disciples were. Instead of just trusting Jesus and letting Jesus come and do what Jesus can only do. You see, when Jesus arrived at the boat, he addressed three areas of their life that was a major concern in the disciples' life, but they are major concerns in your life and in my life as well. 
And as he did, he was able to replace their fear with peace. Now, they understood they did not know their future, but they knew whose hands their future was in. But they were still struggling with that, just like you and I still struggle with that from day to day. You see, let's take a, a few minutes and, and discuss some more special words that Jesus said in verse 50. In verse 50, notice what he says. He says, take courage, it is I, do not be what? Huh? Afraid. Do not be afraid. And so often that's what we are. We are afraid and we don't know what is going to happen next. And as we face the future, all of us going into different situations and different difficulties and different problems, we need to learn to trust Jesus and not be afraid. Just a very short, I'm not going to give you the whole nine yards, just a, a glimpse of what God did in our lives. But when Margie and I, after we got married, uh, a little time afterwards, we found out that she was pregnant. But we did not know that when she took some very extensive x-rays in the uh, lower part of her abdomen. And so... Um, when we found out she was pregnant and she told the doctor about the x-rays that she had had, we know during the very first part of the pregnancy, um, the doctor wanted her to abort the child. He said, it won't make it, and if it does, it will probably be born dead. If not, it would be a vegetable. We knew that was not an option. So we went to see a second doctor that we trusted immensely, and he said the very same thing. And we knew that couldn't happen. And so we spent the next eight months probably, and we just trusted God and believed God and knew that God was able to do what God can only do. And when he was born, Satan was still trying to get him. Because remember, this was how old Robbie? 40? 40? Who? Something. <laughs> so they did not have all the technology they have today, but they did have a fetal monitor. And they knew that every time she pushed, he was being strangled. And so they had to do an emergency um, C-section. And so... When they did that, they found out that the cord was wrapped around his neck not once, not was it three times? It was wrapped around his neck three times. And so if he would have fallen into the birth canal, he would have died. God was faithful once again. And he was born, and he's perfect. Not perfect. I mean, you know what I mean. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I mean, physically, he was perfect. And... You know, he went all the way through school, all the way through college, all the way through seminary, and never made anything below an A, except one time he made a B. And tell me that God's not faithful. And God's using him and his family in ministry today. I mean, God is faithful if we will allow him to. Notice the three areas which the Lord Jesus began to address 
those disciples. Number one, he addressed their fear. You see, they were afraid of death and the storm. And when Jesus said, take courage, it is as if he was saying to them and if he was saying to us today, do not fear the storms of life. I'm in control, not the storms. I'm in control of your life. You see, I, I, there's a, one more story. I promise it's going to be a short, short story. But um, when our kids were still real small, um, we had a cathedral ceiling house, and we had a big, huge, live Christmas tree that caught on fire. And me like a nut, thinking that I could drag the tree out through the front door and what I was doing was spreading fire throughout my house. <laughs> but anyway, I got burned in the midst of that and ended up in the hospital. But there was piles and piles and piles of people there at the hospital. And I asked them all, I said, can y'all just leave me and Margie and my two kids here for just a few minutes and let us have a few minutes alone? And we prayed and we said, God, we don't understand this because we lost everything. I said, God, we don't understand this, and we don't even like this, but God, we know that you work things for our good. And God, we pray that you will be glorified through this whole thing. Whatever it is, you be glorified. Use us to glorify yourself. And buddy, did he. In tremendous ways and ways that I will never, ever begin to comprehend. And you know, that night, I hated it. Today, if God asked me, could we go back in time and do this over again? Would you change anything? I'd say, no, God, your way is best. It always is. And when I came home, I was burned and Margie was driving when I came home a couple of days later. And she drove up to what used to be our house, but now it was just ashes and paper blowing everywhere. And I started to get out of the car and as I started to get out of, a car, out of the car, a piece of paper blew up to my foot and stopped. And I reached down for some reason to pick up that piece of paper. There was paper everywhere. And I reached down to pick up that paper, and it was a page out of one of my Bibles. And everything was burned on it except this one verse. In 2 Corinthians 12, 9, my grace is sufficient for thee. My strength is made perfect in your weakness. And God was saying, I've got this. I can take care of this. Trust me and I'll carry you through this and I'll show you who I am. I'll show you how I can take care of you. And he did a great job in doing that. You know, he says, do not fear. Now, that's a lot easier said than done, isn't it? I, I mean, when we're in the midst of the storm and we got everything raging around us, it's easy to be fearful. But God says we don't need to fear the storms of life because God has them in his control. Storms are up under his control. In verse 48 and verse 51, notice what he says here. Seeing them straining at the oars, for the wind was against them at about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea, and he intended to pass them by. And then 51, then he got into the boat with them, and the wind stopped, and they were utterly astonished. Now, I want you to understand something here. The disciples were terrified. They were struggling. They thought they were going down. They were going to drown. They were going to die. And they were afraid. And Jesus uses the very thing that they were afraid of to come to them. 
Notice in verse 52. In verse 52, and they had not gained any insight from the incident of the loaves, and their heart was hardened. And Jesus knew that. And Jesus put them through the second incident so that they could understand his authority over all of creation, even the ocean, the winds, the Sea of Galilee, whatever it is, he has all authority. And here we see that they were struggling, and Jesus come to, comes to them walking on the sea, showing his authority over his creation, and that he can control the situation, he can control his creation. You see, he demonstrated his control over the situation by walking on the water and coming to them and calming the storm. We serve a mighty God, and there are times when it appears like things are out of control in our lives, and we can't put them back in control. But you know what? God is always reminding us that He has control even when things look chaotic. He is doing what only he knows needs to be done. But second of all, storms are a part of his plan for our lives. That's how he molds and shapes us and does the work of sanctification in our lives. You see, the disciples were out there in the boat in the middle of the of the ocean, I mean, the sea, simply because that's what God's will was for their lives. Who sent them out there? Jesus did. Did the storm catch him off guard? Did he say, oh, God, I put him out in the middle of a storm? No, he knew. He may have even brought the storm about. He does that in our lives from time to time to grow us and to shape us and to mold us. But they were in the storm because Jesus put them in the midst of the storm. And if a preacher tells you that it is not God's will for a child of God to suffer or to go through difficult times, that's a lie straight out of hell. Because God uses the difficulties in our life to help mold and shape us into what God would have us to be. The truth is storms are to be expected but not feared. They have been sent to help us grow into the image of Jesus Christ. There are two things to remember during the... Any storm that happens in your life, number one, God knows where you are and what you're facing. You remember Job and look at what happened at him and he lost everything he had and his wife said, why don't you just curse God and die? But notice what he said in Job 23.10. But he knows the way I take and when he has tried me, I shall come forth as pure gold. Notice that. He believed that God was doing a work in his life. And he didn't understand it. He didn't like it. But yet and still, God was doing a work in his life. And everything was replaced. But it's like reminding us of the smelter. What does the smelter do in, in the book of Malachi? He takes the ore and he puts it in the pot. And he puts heat, intense heat up underneath that ore. And all the impurities that's in that ore comes to the top the dross, and he keeps wiping it off, wiping it off, wiping it off until he looks in there and sees nothing but his reflection. And that's what God is doing in our lives, looking and seeing nothing but his reflection. He is trying to help us to become more and more like him. But also in Job chapter 42, verses 5 and 6, Job said, I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes have seen you face to face. 
What is Job saying? Job is saying, I have served you because I heard you were a good God. I, I, I believed that you were a good God. But now I serve you because I know that you're a good God. I've seen you face to face. I've been in your presence. I know who you are. And that's the reason I serve you now. That's what God wants from us. For us to serve him not because of what we've heard, but because of ex- what we've experienced. You see, God also allows what he does for our good and for his glory. In Romans 8, 28, and we know that all things, call, excuse me, and we know that God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. All things, good, bad, and different, it doesn't matter. All that God allows in your life or brings into your life is for your good and for his glory. In Philippians, in chapter 2, verses 5 through 11, it talks about the mind of Christ. And it says that we are to have the mind of Christ. And what is the mind of Christ? Number one, he was totally sub- excuse me, submissive to the Father. Number two, he was totally obedient to the Father. Number three, he was totally humbled and willing to go and do whatever the Father wanted him to go and do. And also... We see that he was a bondservant to the Father, which means a bondservant is somebody who freely gives himself to another person to be a servant. And that's what Jesus did to the Father, freely giving himself to him. And then also, everything he did was to bring glory to the Father. Isn't that why we're created? To bring glory to the Father? But then also, storms are always of limited duration. You see, we look and see the disciples as they go through this storm. And it it probably appeared to them that the storm wasn't going to end. But I'm here to tell you, storms come to mold and shape God's people. But they don't come to stay. They come to pass when they accomplish what they need to accomplish. May I remind you that Jesus knows what you're facing and and he knows what you are able to take. Isn't that what 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says? That he will not put more upon you than you are able to bear with his guidance and with his help and with his strength. You see, never forget that the storm that you are in today or the one that you may come about tomorrow did not come to stay, but they came to pass. You see, instead of worrying, we must learn to trust the Lord Jesus during the storms of our life, no matter how difficult they may be or how long they may last. But you know what? This is only a speck of time of all eternity. And we are not living for this world. We're living for eternity. And so we are here just to reach people with the gospel and to bring glory to the Father. But second of all, he addressed their faith. You see, when Jesus came to the disciples walking upon the water, they thought that it was a a spirit or a ghost, and they cried out in fear. And we see that in verses 48 and 49. In verse 49, it says, But when they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed that it was a ghost and cried out. Now, I want you to understand something in verse 48. It says, And he intended to pass by them. You see, it wasn't that Jesus was going to pass by and say, see y'all on the other side if y'all make it. 
That, that, that's not what that means. If you look at the original Greek, what it means is, is that he wanted their focus off the storm and on him. And so he was trying to get in a position where their focus was not on the storm, but it was on him. And so they were focusing on him, and Jesus gets in the boat, and Jesus calms the water, showing his authority over all things, showing who he really is. Jesus said, it is I. Now, what does that mean? You remember when God called Moses to go and free the uh, Israelites from Egypt? And Moses says, who am I going to say sent me? And what did he say? I am who I am sent you. That is what Jesus is saying. I am God. I have come to deliver you. I've come to set you free from this storm. I want you to understand something. This is an emphatic personal pronoun, a statement of identification. Jesus is identifying himself as God himself. The Son of God, but God himself as well. You see, it is if Jesus was saying, Fellas, do not be afraid of what you're facing. After all, the great I am is here, and he can take care of whatever's going on in your life. As the great I am, he is all-powerful. In Luke 137, it says, For nothing will be impossible with God. In Job 42.2, it says, I know that you see you can do all things and that no purpose of yours is thwarted. He has proven his power time and time again. Look at the power of his creation that was revealed. As he just spoke the word and all things came into being. Remember the preservation of Noah and his family while the whole rest of the world was drowned. Remember the miracles surrounding the deliverance of Israel from Egypt and how he did miraculous things and took care of every detail of their lives. Over and over, God has proven that he has power to exceed our wildest imaginations. He hasn't changed. He never changes. He's always the same. And if you have a mountain to move, then God is the person to move that mountain. You see, that kind of power we are talking about is found in Isaiah 40, 12. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand or with the breath of his hand marked off the heavens? Who has held the dust of the earth in a basket or weighed the mountains on the scales and in the hills of balance? You see, this verse reminds us that God is able to spread out his hand and cover all of his creation. He created it all. He's bigger than it all. He's in control of it all. And he can cover it all. But it also can mean that he placed them, the stars and all the galaxies, in the places they are simply by the flick of a finger or by the spoken word. You see, he has that kind of power. And if he has that kind of power over inanimate objects, can you imagine the power that he can unleash over you and me? People that he loves more than anything that he came and died for. Can you imagine what he would do for us? That's the God we serve. You see, he has promised every child of God that he would be with them. And he, in Hebrews 13, 5, he says, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. And when the Lord says that he will not forsake us, that means that he is not a fair-weathered friend, but he is an all-weathered friend. 
He doesn't leave when it gets tough. In Psalms 46.1, it says, God is our refuge and strength today, we present help in trouble. I love that because it says he is our, our hiding place, our refuge, where we can go and hide and feel secure. He is our strength when we are weak and we can't go on. He enables us. He strengthens us. He is a very present help in trouble. Notice that. A present help in trouble. Not too early, not too late, but right when I need him, he's right there to do what needs to be done. He's all-perceiving, all-knowing, uh, our omniscient. You see, nothing escapes his gaze. Proverbs 15.3 says, The eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and good. Can you imagine? Now think with me for just a second, and I'm trying to watch the clock. But, <laughs> but can you imagine the billions of people that's upon the face of the earth? And God knows them all intimately well, better than they know themselves. He knows everything about them. Every thought they have, every hair on their head. What an awesome God we serve. And we can't trust him? I'm here to tell you we can. And he is here to do what needs to be done if we learn to just trust him. And believe that he loves us more than we can ever imagine. He is the great I am. Look at the names that uh, John puts about. Our, well, let's first look at the, the names that we find in the Bible. And Jehovah Jireh, the Lord is here. Jehovah Roha, the Lord is my shepherd. Jehovah Shalom, the Lord is our peace. Jehovah Rapha, the Lord is our healer. Jehovah Sidkenu, the Lord is our righteousness. Jehovah Shema, the Lord is there. Jehovah Nisan, the Lord is our banner. Jehovah Kadesh, the Lord is our banner. Jehovah Elion, the Lord most high. El Shaddai, God Almighty. Adonai. The sovereign God. Alpha and Omega. The beginning and end. He is everything that we need. And more. You see. No matter what we are going through. God is all we ever need. Regardless of where you find yourself. Or what you have come your way. God is there to give you peace. God is there to take care. God is there to carry you through the difficulties. Now, it may take a while, it may not change immediately, and it may not ever change totally. But God knows what he's doing. You've got to learn to trust him. Can you imagine what it must have been like for the, for, for the first century Christians as they were martyred because they would not um, reject Jesus Christ? Can you imagine what that must have been like to be strapped to a pole and have hot oil poured upon you and then set on fire to be lights for the Romans? Can you imagine how difficult it was for those people, but they never denied Jesus? You see, it didn't, God didn't promise everything's going to be great, but he promises you he will give you strength and he will be with you and he will give you peace in the middle of that. He addressed their future as well. Notice what John says. He gives Jesus different titles. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection in life. I am the way. I am the truth in life. I am the truth and the life. I am the true vine. Over and over again, he is everything that we need. Jesus came to the disciples that night. And I'm here to tell you, he, they thought their lives was over, and Jesus came and said, 
I have a plan for your future. He addressed their future. You see, they thought that they were over. But what did Jesus say in verse 45? Immediately, Jesus made them or made his disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him. And where were they to go? What does the Bible say? Where were they to go? To the other side. And so they hadn't gotten to the other side. If they'd have learned to trust Jesus and what he said, they would have known they're going to the other side. This storm is not going to carry them down. That's the same thing. Do we have the word of God today? Yeah, we do. And if we would learn to trust it and know it and live by it and believe it, we wouldn't have as much fear as we do today. We've got to learn to trust God and believe what God says. You see, they made it to the other side. And notice in verse 53, when they had crossed over and came to the land of Gennesaret. I want you to understand, they made it to the other side. God had a plan for them. He had a future still for them. And folks, we need to understand that God has a future for us as well. We may be in the midst of a storm, and as we look at the culture we live in, and as we look at the world in which we live, and all the craziness that's going on in our country, and our world, and all the, the things that's happening that makes no sense whatsoever, in the midst of all that, guess who's in control of that? God. And he's bringing about his plan for this world. And to bring us to live with him forever. Notice he says, take courage in verse 50. That's a present active imperative. It literally means stop fearing now and never fear anything ever again. Now, that's a tough thing to do, isn't it? Stop fearing now and don't ever fear anything again. That's what it literally means. Now, who can do that? I sure can't. I worry a lot. Uh, I'm our, we've got to leave here and go to Atlanta. And uh, <laughs> I was telling them earlier, I hope we don't get in terrible traffic. I mean, I, God can move those cars if he wanted to. You know, I mean, we, we are just human flesh that like to worry sometimes. But I want you to know, as I close, three things real fast. Number one, he is ever trustworthy. Regardless of where the road of life leads us, he is absolutely trustworthy. He can always do what he said he would do. And he will always do what he said he would do if we will allow him. But also he is always available. The disciples believed that he wasn't there and they were going to drown and here he comes and they were afraid of him. I'm here to tell you, he's always available. Even though you don't feel him, doesn't mean that he's not there. He is with you at all times. What does Hebrews 13, 5 say? I will never what? That's exactly right. And you can believe in that. You can go to the bank with that. God is with you no matter what. And he's always enough. I'm here to tell you, the Bible says... And Isaiah 45, 22, turn to me and be saved all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there's no other. If he's not God, 
then we are in trouble. But he is God, and there is no other. God and God alone is our hope and our health as we journey through life, as we go through different situations, as you as a church are looking and seeking for God's will, for God's next man to be here. I'm here to tell you, God hasn't forsaken you. God already has that person picked out. He may be preparing you for him. He may be preparing him for you. You have to give him the ability to work it out in his time and in his way and not yours. You've got to trust him completely and let God be God in the midst of that whole situation. And as I close, in Isaiah, in chapter 9, verse 6, before Jesus came into the world, the prophet Isaiah said this about the name of Jesus. He, is, he will be one, the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the prince of peace. And isn't that who he is? Isn't he wonderful, great and gracious and mighty and awesome? And he is the awesome counselor, the all-wise, all-knowing, can give you great counsel, can give you great guidance. The mighty God, the one that has all power, that can do all things, and there's nothing impossible with him, but also the Prince of Peace. Then in the midst of the good times, you can have peace, but also in the midst of the bad times, you can have peace. The world gives you peace when everything is going the way you want it to go. God gives you peace at all times, in the good and at the bad. He is the great Prince of Peace. If you don't know Jesus, today is a day that you can accept him as your personal Lord and Savior. If you are a Christian already, but yet and still you know that you're not living for him, you're not really depending upon him, you're not really trusting in him, then maybe you need to rededicate your life. But whatever you need to do, I pray, y'all can come on to the front. Whatever you need to do, I pray that you will just be obedient as God speaks to your heart.